0: smartphone or some device, you'll be looking at the Scriptures with us. We're going to be in Colossians 4 this morning. Um, We are nearing our last couple weeks here in in this letter um, from Paul to the church at Colossae. And so what we've seen in this brief but encouraging letter um, has been the... All right, <laughs> what we've seen in this brief and encouraging letter really is that, that Paul initially is just encouraging, right? That he is, he's writing to this young church and saying um, how, how grateful he is for them, that he's praying for them. He then quickly reminds them of, of the truth and the beauty of the gospel, that they have themselves have been transferred out of the kingdom of darkness, the domain of darkness, into the kingdom of light. And then he just holds up Jesus and exalts Jesus as big and glorious. To get to the crux of the matter, that they have some false teaching that's emerged um, in their community around the church, and he's warning them um, and saying, "Listen, here's what they're going to argue, and here's why it's not true, um, and here's why the gospel is sufficient, even though they're telling you you need additional religious experience." And then he says, "Because we're already like seated in the heavenly places, like that is our identity. We belong to Jesus." but we're in this world currently. So let's see how we put the gospel on display, how we put the fact that we belong to Jesus on display. And initially he mentions it in the church, right, where it can feel um, a little bit um, potentially easier. And then last week we saw where he took it into the home, right, the people who know us best, the people who know our weaknesses and our struggles. And he takes it in there and says we also want to put the gospel on on display that we belong to Jesus, that He's Lord of our life in every regard, even at home. And so this morning, what we're going to see is that He's beginning to wrap up the letter, that He's going to be very pastoral here. He's going to hit on a couple of issues, but He's beginning to bring the letter to a conclusion. And one of the things He's going to do is, so much of this letter has been about the internal workings of the church. He's going to remind them Hey, you also have to then look out. You have to have an ex- like look outside the church to those who don't yet know Jesus. And the reason why he would need to rightly remind them or warn them not to fall into that trap, right, is because he's been telling them there are false teachers, and you want to remove yourself from that. You want to be wary of them. And so he is clarifying. Listen, if there are those who are teaching false things, I want you to be wary. But that doesn't mean that we flee from all folks who don't yet know Jesus, right? It's a, it's, a, it's a caution and a reminder that the church has never been, was never meant to be, and should never be a holy huddle, right? Where, where only believers belong, and then we just kind of look out and say, come on, Jesus, it's scary out there, right? Like that we are supposed to know and display the gospel inside the church, and then we are to look outside and put the gospel on display as well there. And so Paul is really going to end his letter making sure we have um, attention looking outside the church itself. So let's read, beginning in verse uh, 2 of chapter 4. Paul writes, "...continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. At the same time, pray also for us, that God may open to us a door for the Word, to declare the mystery of Christ on account of which I am in prison, that I may make it clear which is how I ought to speak. And so it, he begins this kind of conclusion by saying, listen, I want you to continue to pray, and I'm going to ask you to pray for me. And and if you have been with us, right in chapter 1, we he starts this letter. Listen to verse 3 of chapter 1. We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you. You go down to verse 9. And so from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of His will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding. Like he starts the letter by saying, I'm praying for you, church and believers whom I have not met. Like he is showing pastoral care for them, longing to be there with them. But this is not a church that he's been in. It's not a church that he started. And now here in chapter 4, we kind of see this book end where he goes, I want you to keep praying. I'm going to ask you to pray for me. And so we could go, okay, prayer, kind of a basic tenet of the faith. And yet this morning, we know that for most of us, if not if not all of us, prayer falls into this kind of murky place in our spirituality. Right? Where, where we just, sometimes we're just not very good at it. Right. And I know there are prayer warriors out there, but I think the the majority of us feel like we're not good at it. That we don't do it often enough, consistently enough, that sometimes it can feel powerless to us. Um and, and if we're not careful, we just kind of can carry a low grade fever, a low grade guilt all the time when it comes to our prayer life. Of even when it's going well, it's like, well, why hasn't it been that before? Right, or am I going to be able to maintain that? Um, So we can talk about prayer. Like we know the right answers to say. We know how to talk about it. We know how to ask for requests and to make claims. But you don't really want to be pressed on the details of what your prayer life looks like, right? Like often we're like, "Don't, don't ask me what my prayer life looks like. Let's just talk about prayer as an idea." And if we're not careful, prayer moves into the realm of superstition. So I, I, I love baseball. Um, played baseball. Baseball is a sport with a lot of superstition, right? If you haven't been around it, um, you'll notice guys when they're going on and off the field, they don't touch the chalk line, like they're jumping over it, right? And, or if they, if they have um, a a good game, you'll hear baseball players all the time saying, well, I'm not washing my uniform or my undershirt. Like there's something that they're like, they're attributing their success to some stinky piece of clothing, right? And like, I'm going to, I'll just wear that thing out or a lucky bat, or, I mean, there's all sorts of just kind of superstition. Now, listen, most guys would go, ah, I know it doesn't work. Like, I mean, I know know it's not real, but it can't hurt, right? And and it kind of lives in this weird place of, it probably doesn't help, but who knows, right? Like, it's just kind of this, like, strange place. And so here's here's what it looks like for me. I was a high school baseball player. I would go up to bat, and right before I would get in, I had the same prayer that I would pray, and like I was trying to like spiritualize my superstition, right? And I thought if I did not pray the exact prayer before every pit, there's no chance I'm getting a hit. And I and like intellectually I knew that was insane, and was probably sacrilegious, but like like right prayer kind of became this weird thing for me. It was really not prayer. I was not communing with God. It was some sort of like. Meditation breathing technique that I was to prepare to play baseball. It wasn't Christ honoring Um, on Sunday mornings, right? Like this, we can bring this into modern day. I have to be very careful as I'm praying before I come up here during that second song that that prayer isn't simply a way to do the same thing, right? That I'm not simply going, okay, God, I'm gonna I'm gonna pray a, a prayer so that I think that you'll You'll bless this thing. And I'm not really communing with you. I just don't want to look like a fool. And and if I'm not careful, if I'm not cognizant of it, prayer can become superstition even here on Sunday morning. right? And so we understand that prayer just be, can become this kind of murky and strange thing. And I, and I think all of us, whether your prayer life is almost non-existent or whether your prayer life is robust, we would all say we want more. Because if your prayer life is robust, and if you're in a sweet season of prayer, you're thinking, give me more. Like, I want more of this. And if it's not so good right now, you definitely want more. And so let's, let's see here what Paul is saying as he's writing to the church, and he just says, continue. Verse 2, steadfast in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. With the first thing we just need to note is there's just the assumption that believers pray. Right? it's a command, believers. Pray. It's not a suggestion. It's not a hey, if you're up for it. It's a, it, it's the expectation, the assumption, that he's writing to a church and that they are steadfast and continual in their prayer. The second thing for us to note here, besides the fact that it's what we should do as believers, is that there is effort involved. There's oil involved. There's there's work. Involved. If if we're not careful, we can look at prayer as something that should come easily to us. And when it doesn't, because it does take effort and work and it in, and intentionality, then we can become like a kid who picks something up for the first time. Right? It's a it's a new game or it's a new sport or it's a new toy. And if the first time doesn't go well for them, if they're not real good at it, right? Like they're flipping the board. I don't ever want to play this game again. Right? And they just have like this freak out moment of it's like, hey, this seems like an overreaction to the first time that you've ever done this, but they want to be good immediately, right? They want it to be easy immediately. And I fear that some of us have we viewed prayer that way. That we went in and we we prayed, and we either our prayer requests didn't seem to be answered in the manner in which we were praying, or it was harder, or we fell asleep, or it was just more difficult than we imagined, and we're like, oh. I'm not one of those praying people, right? And then we move prayer over into this, like, man, if things are real bad, I'll pray. At the dinner table, I might pray. But like, prayer does not become this consistent and steadfast part of our life. You notice Paul doesn't give them a rule. He doesn't give them a law here. He doesn't say, okay, church, and this is what steadfast prayer looks like. This is how many minutes a day. This is how many hours a week. This is like, there's none of that. So there, is, there is grace here, the expectation that they will have a serious pursuit of God through prayer that is not occasional, but it's consistent and it's regular. And he does not then assume that he should tell a father the same thing that he should tell a mother, that he should tell a senior citizen the same thing that he should t- tell a teenager. Right? Like there, is, there is space and grace here for this. So we can look then to Scripture. We can look then to, to folks around you that are faithful and praying and begin to develop, like, what does this look like in my life, right? We, we can imagine Jesus, right? Like, that He stole away early and often in the morning, right? To get away, even from the disciples, to have a quiet, consistent time with the Lord. maybe maybe the most helpful thing this morning would be this any habit that you've had in your life that you started that wasn't necessarily the the thing that you you wanted but you knew you needed it right? like what did you have to do to get that habit to stick like what what were the steps that you took right it it was probably with intentionality like you made a plan and you built on it you started small and you let it develop and grow until it became rhythm of your life so church it's okay to utilize the tools right around us like some of you have prayer apps that keep your requests before you right where you can mark down answers to prayer or mark down notes or even have like little reminders that go off on your phone They're like oh yeah i'm praying for this at this time like utilize tools for some of you it's it's a calendar for some it's photos for some it's a it's a, a yellow notepad um Right, it's finding something that works for you to keep prayer, the characters the characteristics of God and people on your mind before you so that you are praying and taking them before the throne room of grace regularly. And church, ultimately that we want it to be bathed in prayer. I mean, sorry, we want it to be bathed in the word. Right? Like that is, we are in the word, seeing people pray, hearing prayers, seeing scripture then when we don't know what to pray, we're like, God, I want that. Like, I want, I need this in my life. Lord, would this be my prayer? And maybe you just say, God, I'm going to read this psalm. I'm going to read this passage. And when you hear this as a prayer in the cry of my heart. So, listen, your prayer life probably needs to have two two speeds to it at a minimum. Some slow times, right? These are the times where Jesus gets away, right? And there's there's quiet and there's length and there's depth, and relationships like go deep in those moments, right? So, for, for like a married person, right? Like, this is a date night, right? Where you go and you remind, like, I like you, right? Like, I, I like and enjoy spending time with you, and it's nice to have more than a few minutes in passing. And yet, the reality of our life doesn't look like a date night. Like those are nice times those are good times we're glad when we have them but the reality of life is typically hustle and bustle in whatever form or fashion that looks for you that you're you're that you're on the move and that you're going and in those moments right we connect with one another via text or phone calls or notes or or words in passing right that are not just um passing notes right like a, a, like here's what you need to do it's like Hey, I'd love to talk to you again, right? Like it's 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 just seeing each other and connecting quickly, and so our prayer life can have moments where there is quiet before the Lord, right before others are up, or when others are already in bed, where we have um, our, our our notepad and our Bible before us, and we just are connecting with the Lord in like an intimate way. But our prayer life can also be running between meetings. And dealing with a classroom full of crazy kids, and going, God, I have literally two seconds. Here's my prayer, right? That that is what praying without ceasing looks like. That we're just consistently connecting our circumstances, our situations, our thoughts, our needs, our temptations, our struggle, our hopes, our joys to the Lord, right? And again, it's just these one-liners, these prayers of just quick connection. That both of these can make up our prayer life. The issue is most of us are decent at the connections, the quick hustle and bustle. We struggle with like the the more substantial seasons, like moments of depth. And I think we only think those are the ones that count. Both count. Both count. And both are necessary for a relationship. Because we live in a world, right, where we don't we're not monks, right? Like we don't get to just Pull aside, like lay down every circumstance, every relationship, every um responsibility in life, and say all that gets to be put on pause while I go do my thing and I'll come out when I come out. Like, man, it's glorious if you get moments like that. But that's not life. That's not that's not normal. And so what Paul is saying here is this continue steadfast in prayer, end, no rule, do it in the current season and stage of life that you're in. We're not we're not comparing, right? We're not contrasting. We're just saying I want you to be a prayerful people. He continues, being watchful in it. Watchful for what? Watchful for opportunities, right? Opportunities of going, hey, that's something that needs to be prayed about. Watchful in my own heart of am I am I growing do I want to pray? Do I not want to pray? How am I thinking about God? Right? We're being mindful in our own life. We're being mindful of opportunities and situations. We're also being watchful for answers. Right? Because it's in the answers to prayer that drive us and motivate us to continue to want to pray. Like, oh God, you you're hearing me and you're seeing me. And look at how you and you answered that. Right? Like that we're we're watchful and mindful of that. One of the reasons that Paul ends almost all of his letters with a, with a specific request of, here's how you can pray for me. Right? As he's, he's obviously praying that for himself. But he's inviting others in because as he invites others in to see it, they also get to have their faith deepened and strengthened when God answers them. right? Because they were included in, in on it. And so we invite people to pray for us so that their hearts and faith can be deepened and strengthened when God Moves and work and sustains and answers, and it's and it's it's corporately life-giving and beautiful, and so it's why when we make prayer more of like like sometimes prayer can just kind of become like gossip hour, right? Like where I'm pass along some information, it's just not helpful because the point is that we would pray for one another, that we would be steadfast in prayer. Trusting the Lord, seeing His faithfulness and His dependence, and having ours deepened and strengthened. Being watchful in our own life. And then He gives us one of the things that we need to be watchful for. And He ends verse 2. So be watchful in it with thanksgiving, with gratitude. Do you notice how many times in Colossians, like Paul just continues to go back to, hey, and when you do that, do it with gratitude. Hey, when you do that, do it with thanksgiving. You see it just littered and sprinkled throughout the letter, and he is constantly bringing our hearts back to thankfulness and gratitude. Church, this is a heart check for all of us this morning. If we're not finding ourselves regularly, consistently, thankful for God and the things that He's doing in our life, there's, there's, something's wrong. because he's done all right, he's done so much. And listen, that doesn't mean that you're not allowed to be sad, that you're not allowed to mourn, that you're not allowed to have difficult circumstances and situations. But even in that, can we see moments where we can be grateful and thankful for what the Lord is doing? We're going to look at this a little bit more. What it does is it takes prayer from being mere religious behavior. And so the last thing I want, and and the reason we're going here quickly now, is there is no guilt in this this morning. That we're not we're not going to lay out rules and laws. There's no shame here. There's no guilt here. We're not asking you to have like perfunctory religious behavior. But that we would see prayer as a reward. Because you get access to the king of the universe. That we would see it as as, as a joy that we get to commune with the Father in prayer. Right? And, And we we long for the day where our faith will be made sight. But in the meantime, God has given us His Spirit, and He's given us prayer, and He's given us His Word. And these three things, right, are moving and working and connecting us to the Father, to the One who holds all things together. We've been invited to commune with Him. And so prayer will reveal whether you believe that's actually possible. Like, how important is it to you? Like, is it, right, superstitious religious behavior? Or is an opportunity to meet with the God of the universe. And I don't know about you, but often for me, my prayer life is more of me thinking about how I'm doing it well or I'm not doing it well. Like it's, it's the thought is actually on prayer than on God, right? Like that's a pretty good like check, like safety valve there. If if my prayer life is me thinking about am I doing it well, then I'm not thinking about God. And the and the point is to know Him, is to connect with Him to hear from Him, to speak to Him. Continue steadfast in prayer. Like He's saying, God wants to hear from you. He's a good Dad who wants you to bring all of your requests before Him. He wants to hear you. He's not bored with you. He's not indifferent to you. He knows you. He sees you. He loves you. And He says, come and ask. And ask freely. I like, that begins to motivate our hearts to say, I want more of that. When we picture God as being Oh my gosh, you again? Seriously, you how many times do I have to tell you? Right? Like we begin to we begin to put parenting into what God would do and God is saying, No, 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 come. Come and ask. Come and be with me. Let me encourage you. Let me heal you. Let me transform you. Let me be near to you. Like what you need is me. You're going to find your your satisfaction in me. You're going to find your joy in me. Let me lift your chin. You know how I see you? You know how I feel about you? You see what I've done on your behalf? No, prayer is not religious activity. It is communing with the Father. That we could even, as you're praying, kind of think through the book of Colossians. You took me, not just a generic us or generic them, you took me from the domain of darkness. That is no longer where I belong. you have transferred me into the kingdom of the Son, and you did that by Jesus' life and his death and his resurrection, and I have peace, and I have joy and I have hope, and that is no longer my home. You are my home because of Jesus. Like how would we not be grateful for that? That we are no longer enslaved to the domain of darkness. Oh, and by the way, we have an inheritance laid up before us that we are co-heirs with Christ. Like it, we get it all because we have a seat at the table as sons and daughters of the King because we've been taken from the domain of darkness and into the kingdom of light. How are we not going to be grateful and motivated to connect with that God? Oh, and God, you have put to shame... So the powers and the principalities of this world, when they thought they had defeated you, when they thought they had shamed you at the cross, you are putting them to open shame because it was their defeat. And Christ is victorious. And He is in charge. And He is our Lord. And I have access to you? Like, I get to just come in because I belong to you? And you're alive, right? The book of Acts was written going, hey, Jesus isn't physically present, but He's hearing our prayers. He's moving He's alive. We have access to Him. He hears us. He cares about us. He's alive. Listen to how Revelation would describe how God hears and receives our prayers. This is Revelation 5.8. When He had taken the scroll, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the Lamb, each holding a harp and golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. Now one of the things that right, is being like laid down before the Lord in worship are your prayers. Because your prayers are saying, God, I trust You. I'm depending upon You. I want You. I need You. God, Your will be done. Right? is going, I trust You. And it's just worship being laid out before the Lord. Like what a beautiful picture that prayer is not mere religious activity. It's our call to commune with the Creator of the universe, because Church, Colossians one fifteen. Here is who we are communing with and to. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created, in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. Of his cross, and you have access to it. Like that is who we're communing with. Right? And so it is not habit, it is not ritual, it is communion. We get Him. It's a gift, it is a reward, it is a joy, and we have access to it, and we struggle with it. And all of that's true. So would you feel no guilt this morning? No shame this morning? Would you simply hear a call from your good Father saying, Come, I want to hear from you. I want you to trust me. I want you to know me. I want to speak to you. And it's going to be work. And it's going to be toil. And it's going to be effort. And everything in our world screams at us to take our attention away from that. Because it's easier to do pretty much anything else. So we have to fight for it. We have to to want it and intend for it. Paul ends this section by asking for a specific request. Verse 3. At the same time, pray also for us that God may open to us a door for the Word to declare the mystery of Christ on account of which I'm in prison, that I might make it clear which is how I ought to speak. Remember, Paul's in prison. The reason he hasn't come is he's, he's locked up. This is um, roughly probably 60 to 62 A.D. He's most likely in Rome in prison um, waiting to meet the Caesar, right? And he's writing them saying, and listen, do you notice what he doesn't say? Hey, pray that I'd get out. He doesn't ask them to pray that he would get out. He says, pray that an open door would be there for me to share the gospel. With Paul's pedigree, he's clearly a gifted pastor, planter, missionary. right? He's not like, hey, man, just, just put the ball in the tee. I'll knock it out of the park. Just pray. Because my words are feeble. My efforts are feeble if they are not empowered by the Spirit of the living God. The Gospel is sufficient and the Spirit is sufficient, but if we begin to believe that it's on us that it happens, it's powerless. And so Paul is bringing them in and he's saying, listen, don't pray that I get out. Pray that I have opportunity to share. Like he's trusting that the Lord has him there as long as he has him there. And if the Lord breaks him out, he breaks him out, right? Like I'm, I'm going to do what the Lord has for me. I just want to keep sharing the Gospel. I just want to... And so we see humility. We see um, a trust in the Lord. Listen to how he writes to Timothy. This is 2 Timothy 2, verse 9. Remember Jesus Christ, risen from the dead, the offspring of David, as preached in my Gospel. Verse 9. For which I am suffering, bound with chains as a criminal. Right? Just describing himself. Again, not asking for release. Listen, bound with chains as a criminal, but the Word of God is not bound. He's saying, like, keep praying. It doesn't matter that I'm chained or that I'm bound. The Word of God isn't. And the Word of God will move in power, right? And it will rescue and it will save. And there are others who need to be taken out of the domain of darkness into the kingdom of light. So, would you do that? In and through by praying for me. He is asking them to cooperate with Him. An open door is simply an opportunity, right? We, we see in, in Acts 14 that He uses this same phrase when He says, Hey, the gospel went to the Gentiles. We thought maybe it was only for the Jews that went to the Gentiles. The Lord provided an open door, an opportunity. So He's saying, I don't know what open door God's going to give, but I'm asking for it to happen, and that when it's given, that I would speak, and what I would declare is Jesus. Right? The mystery of Christ is simply that Jesus has stepped in and is answering all the questions we had in the Old Testament. And it is, God is rescuing His people in the world through Jesus, who was born of a woman, born under the law, to rescue of people who are under the law. That is what Jesus is doing. That is the mystery. God is redeeming us through the life, the death, and the resurrection of Jesus. So I want to point people to that. I want to preach that. It's why I'm in prison and I want to make it clear. For Jesus. So here's the last thing. He doesn't make it selfish. He doesn't draw it to Himself. He points it out. So the reminder for us this morning is this. Is Who has God given you an open door to speak the truth of the mystery of Christ? Right, he's he's looking at them and he's he's beginning to wrap this letter up and he's saying, "Okay, church, now look out that you would have an open door, or many open doors, that you would speak plainly and clearly the mystery of Christ, which is Jesus, and that it would be empowered. It is not your winsomeness, it's not your knowledge, it's not your apologetic ability that saves people." It's Jesus who takes them from the domain of darkness and into the light, And yet He uses us as instruments and tools in that process so that we would trust and depend and glory in Him and the work that He's doing. And so He's saying, hey, pray for one another as you go do this. And so this morning, um, I would love as, as the band comes up here in just a moment, that the Lord maybe is already flashing a situation or a person your heart, across your mind, that you would begin to pray for an open door in an empowered spirit moment where you would get to share the mystery of Jesus and the Lord might be so gracious to save. If that person, if that situation doesn't come to mind right now, that you would ask God to begin to give you eyes as you persistently, consistently pray. That God would begin to give you eyes to see and to think like that. And that prayer church would become rich and meaningful to us. We commune with our good Father. So I'm gonna, we're going to take a moment and just give you opportunity to pray. And then the band's going to come up and they're going to sing and we get to sing to this king because not only do we get to commune with him in prayer, we get to sing to him. He hears it, right? It, he receives it as worship. During that time of response and of worship, there'll be some folks in the back of the room if you need someone to talk to, to pray with, we will be back there glad to do that. The Lord's Supper is also set up in four locations around the room. At any point during those songs, you're welcome to get up to take the cup, right? Symbolic of his blood spilt so that yours isn't. And the and, and the bread, his body broken so that yours isn't. Right? We have something to be grateful for this morning. Right? Like that's what Paul is consistently reminding us of be grateful, because that is the truth so that the table is set up for believers, for those who are trusting and following Jesus this morning. Let me pray for us. You enter also a time of prayer, and then we'll sing together. Father, would we be reminded this morning that we have an enemy who would love to distract us from prayer, who would love to make uh, make us just see it as boring, and would throw anything in front of us to entice us away from? God, would we not see it as religious obligation, God, but would we see it as the gift that it is, because we get to know you, be in relationship with you? So, Father, if there are, are false ideas around this in our heart and our mind, Lord, would you break them free? God, would you give us sweet moments of prayer and communion with you? Um, And God, if, if we find that it's just work and toil and struggle, would we not give up, but would we ask those around us help? Pray for me, pray with me, help. God, that we would be a people who would love you in prayer and that you would give us eyes to see the world around us. And that we would then pray that you would bring them into the family. Lord, we need you. We ask you to speak. Even now, Lord, in Jesus' name, amen.